The more the world changes, the more we find comfort in the things that never change. Never change. This is Rabbi Daniel Lappin on demand on the Blaze Radio Network. Welcome to the Rabbi Daniel Lappin Show, where I, your rabbi, reveal how the world really works. Thanks for being part of the show. And hey, yes, thank you all for doing such a splendid job of publicizing and promoting the show. Every time you enthuse one more person about the show, every time one more person begins to listen to the show because of your efforts, uh, you win my gratitude. And uh, what is more, you'll probably win the gratitude of the person to whom you introduced the show as well. So thanks for doing that, and you've been doing an absolutely fantastic job of it. Uh, you happy warriors, you know that that's how I think of you. And uh, you're not just eager devotees of the Rabbi Daniel Lappin Show. You're happy warriors, because I see every one of you. doesn't matter what your age or your condition is, but you are either a handsome and virile man, or you are a beautiful, nubile woman, because... Because this show is mostly about your soul, not about your bodies. And I suspect that each and every one of you listening at this moment has a young and vibrant soul. What is more, we are all happy warriors. Because to live productively, you've got to fight every hour of every day. Fight against the force of entropy of nothing else. You fight to maintain your possessions. You fight to build and maintain your family and your business, your profession, your career. Look, life is a fight, and that's a good thing. To stop fighting, seeking, striving, is to die. To seek a tranquil, relaxed, settled, trouble-free, worry-free existence, well, that's sort of climbing into the grave. And I call you not just warriors, but happy warriors. Because to throw yourself into the fight for eight or ten hours every day, six days a week, well, that's one thing. But to do all that with a debonair smile on your face and a jaunty pace to your stride, to do all that while generating an irrepressible surge of happiness welling up in your soul, always making yourself behave happy, which eventually guarantees that you will feel happy, indeed, that is the credo of the happy warrior. And here on the Rabbi Daniel Lappin Show, well, this is the home of the happy warriors. There's even a, a Facebook group now for listeners of this show called the uh, Happy Warrior. And uh, you can visit there, and, and that is looked after by Andrew and by Shana and, um, and some other folks as well. So anyway, for those of you interested in actually um, joining a happy warrior group on Facebook, well, you know what to do. And uh, you also know that my website is rabbidaniellappin.com because you go there from time to time. You go there to read back episodes of Thought Tool, back episodes of Susan's Musics, back episodes of people who've written in to ask the rabbi, and you read the comments that Susan and I uh, add to the comments that you make on those various publications on the website. 
you also visit the store to see if there are any resources there that happen to apply to whatever you're dealing with at the moment. And look, let me be candid. If you're grappling with a gardening problem, sorry, wish I could help you, but I'm worse than useless. If you're grappling with a problem of how to clear snow from your driveway, I don't have much to contribute on that. I'm really sorry. I wish I could come over and do it for you, but that isn't going to happen. However, if you have any challenges facing you in the area of your relationships with family, your relationships with friends, your relationships with faith, and most importantly, your relationships with your finances. If you have any challenges in those four areas, faith, family, friendships, and finance, well, then you definitely want to visit the store at rabbidaniellappin.com. Now, last week, I spoke about something, and let me make clear, today is, uh, uh, this show is a standalone show. You do not require a review of last week's show at all. However, if you have any interest whatsoever, any interest at all in, well, in the material I spoke about last week having to do with the way that China is literally colonizing the, the whole world, the way that China is really taking over and securing for itself uh, transportation, access, minerals, oil, resources, well, then you should probably go back and listen to last week's show. It's called Let's Face the Truth. The left is turning America into a third world nation. And uh, uh, what it was about, the description was, I spoke about uh, who is going to be building the Argentina-Chile tunnel through the Andes and locking up the supply of lithium in the world. Well, that contract hasn't been awarded yet, but uh, I did replace my yarmulke with a prophet's hat, and I said I think it's going to be a Chinese company. Uh, I spoke a little bit about how China has now acquired the most important railroad in Africa from Mombasa to Nairobi. They've, in fact, acquired most of the port of Mombasa itself. They've also acquired airports and r electricity grids in Zambia and uh, so on and so forth. It spreads. Um, well, it's not just in those places, South America as well. And uh, uh, I also, as a result of a listener who was alert and knew I'd be interested in, in knowing about this, a, a listener pointed out to me that in Ecuador, which has quite a bit of oil, by the way, uh, or used to, Right now, the oil belongs to China. Why? Well, uh, China built a huge dam, a hydroelectric project called the Coca-Cola Sinclair Dam. And uh, uh, it, it's, a, it's a few hundred miles uh, east of Quito. And, uh, and of course, not surprisingly, uh, they, the Ecuadorians were not able to keep up with the interest payments on the loan for that dam. So China has locked in at discount prices all the oil that Ecuador pumps, and then some. In fact, they've instructed Ecuador to increase the pumping rate. And so that belongs to China. It's, it's really quite remarkable to, to read about. Uh, China is building roads and bridges everywhere around the world. And uh, 
in, in doing so, they are really positioning themselves very well for world domination. Now, uh, something I'm, I'm going to come back to uh, at another time, but uh, I will at least expose you to the idea. Many of you are not going to like what I'm about to say. And so I ask you uh, not to accept it. I, I certainly do not want passive acceptance from my cherished listeners. No! Uh, what I want you to do is simply store it away and weigh up the world around you through the lens of what I'm about to say. Evaluate what I'm about to say in the context of the things you read about and the things you see. Think about what I'm about to tell you and just ask yourself, wait a sec, does it make sense? As I listen to the news, as I read information, as I acquire more knowledge of the world around me, is it possible that this particular principle actually is true? And you'll make up your own mind. You'll find out eventually. What is the, the principle? The principle is, my friends, that uh, the Bible is the source of morality, but the Bible's morality applies to individuals, not to nations. I think that's really important to understand. So in other words, uh, if the Bible says that uh, you're not allowed to kill, to murder, I'm sorry, it does not say you're not allowed to kill. You certainly can kill in self-defense. It says you're not allowed to murder. Uh, that would, of course, be the sixth commandment. Uh, the, that um, statement is to you and me and all our friends and everyone else we know, but it isn't a statement for the government of Cambodia. You follow? Uh, the, the laws of the Bible apply to individuals, not to nations. When it comes to nations, you have to know that there is no such thing as the United Nations. Oh, I know there's an expensive, money-consuming bureaucracy on the uh, banks of the East River in New York and in, on, the lakes, on, the, on the shores of the lake in Geneva. I get all that, but it's meaningless. Uh, yes, I know they have dreams to become a taxing authority and to become the world power. Yeah, look, it's complete nonsense. The United Nations, for all intents and purposes, is nonsense. Uh, there's an international court in The Hague in Holland. Complete rubbish. Uh, ignore it. it. It's meaningless. I, uh, I don't want to quote Stalin approvingly, but on several occasions, more than one occasion, uh, people would say to Stalin something like, in fact, Winston Churchill was one of the people who said to Stalin after World War II, he said uh, Stalin was uh, oppressing Catholics in the Soviet Union, and Stalin said, uh, excuse me, Winston Churchill said to Stalin, you know, uh, I, I would caution you to take into account the feelings of the Pope on what you're planning on doing. Churchill hoping to encourage Stalin uh, to a, uh, a kinder and gentler approach. Stalin's response was, oh, really? Could you tell me how many army divisions the Pope in Rome has? And Stalin's point, of course, was that uh, the interaction between nations is not built on paper. It's built on power. And the only way to take care of your well-being as a nation 
in the face of another nation's power is by building up power yourself. Now, I know it would be lovely if we didn't live in a world like this. Oh, it would be so beautiful if every nation would beat their swords into plowshares. And indeed, one day they will, but that day hasn't got here yet. And so, uh, for any nation to neglect its own defense is uh, criminal behavior on the part of its government. I tell you all this because I want you to understand that I am not... Um, indicting China for what they're doing. I'm not maligning China. I think they're being brilliant. I think they're being disciplined. I think they're doing exactly what they should do. If their goal is world domination, which I think it probably is, uh, they're doing exactly the right thing. The building of military bases on long-forgotten islands in the South China Sea, the building of a, a, a military that keeps on growing with no end in sight. They're I think you probably heard about their first aircraft carrier on this show for the first time, probably, because it was, and this was a while back, but it was one of the first disclosures of Chinese uh, shipbuilding. So, yeah, I'm not attacking China for colonizing the world. I think they're being brilliant about it. They're being disciplined about it, and uh, they're doing exactly what they should do, what every other nation should be doing is being extremely aware and either deciding they can accommodate to that uh, or having the uh, willpower and the military muscle to be able to resist it where necessary. Uh, it's fascinating that the forces of the left intent on hurting America and uh, damaging civilization have done all they can to make certain that uh, America is hysterically obsessed with Russia while turning a complete blind eye to the only power that really constitutes a long-term threat to the United States, which is, of course, China. But uh, so much for that. That's certainly exactly what's going on there, and there's nothing much that I personally can do about it other than tell you what is going on. But my suspicion is that most of you already have this very well figured out for yourself. Now, um, what I am going to do now is, and, and please understand, this is not because of an out-of-control ego, although I, I will certainly confess to a robust ego, uh, along with a dose of humility, I hope. I am, I'm under no illusions as to my shortcomings and my regrets, I can promise you that. However, uh, I recently um, agreed to do an interview at Cornerstone Television, and I was interviewed by the head of Cornerstone Television, Don Black, an old friend, and uh, I listened to it recently, and I was astonished at how open I was. I'm, I'm usually a much more restrained and much more private uh, rabbi than that. But I was really, I, I must have felt relaxed because uh, I, I was quite open about it. So I thought you might want to hear it. Uh, we cover quite a lot of topics. It's not very long, but uh, we do go through a bunch of stuff. So uh, hoping you're going to like this. And if not, I apologize in advance. But uh, I, I know that some people will find it interesting. Thanks so much for listening. Here goes my interview with Cornerstone Television. What's the difference between hearing 
God's call and then obeying it. Rabbi Daniel Lapkin is America's rabbi. He eloquently shares the truths found in ancient Jewish wisdom of the Hebrew scriptures. His friendship with Christians is a blessing to us all. Rabbi, welcome to the calling. Thank you very much indeed, Don. Wonderful to be with you. It's my privilege to have you here. uh, um, I have a long connection with you indirectly, and I've just been honored by your work and blessed by your work, and so glad that you could take time with us here at Cornerstone and share with our family. Uh, This this program's different. It's an informal program. We're talking about God's, God's call and purposes in our lives, but first I want to first ask you about yourself. How did you grow, where did you grow up? I grew up in South Africa, uh, the bottom edge of the African continent, which makes me a, a, a very genuine African-American, of course. Yes. And um, I uh, found myself um, sent away to school in England. I don't want you to draw any conclusions about what a rotten child I was, that my parents wanted to send me away so early at the age of 10. Uh, to school in the United Kingdom, but, uh, but that's what they did. For good, for good and sufficient reason, we'll leave it at that. <laughs> and, um, and, uh, and that's where I began to gradually join the human race. <laughs> to gradually join the human race. Well, <laughs> brothers and sisters, do you have brothers and sisters? Yes, I do. I have uh, two brothers and a sister. And, uh, yeah, and uh, we, we've all uh, followed in the path of our parents. Did they, did, did they stay in South Africa, or were they too set off for refinement? Um, they they uh, managed remarkably well with me out of the picture, and, um, and they, uh, they, they remained there for, for quite a long time until finally I was established in the United States of America, and they all came to join me here. Well, where are you in the pecking order? Are you youngest, oldest, middle? Oldest. So you're the oldest. Yes. Well, that opens up a lot of... Uh, windows to your personality. Yeah, we do not have to go there unless you absolutely <laughs> insist. <laughs> no, we won't go there because I'm the oldest too. <laughs> Let's just agree to let that be uh, our, our, our own personal thing. Deal. When you were a young man, growing up in South Africa, what kinds of dreams did you have about your life and perhaps what you would do with your life? Well, um, I grew up as the, uh, the son of a very distinguished and uh, famous rabbi. And, um, and as, the, as, as uh, somebody very conscious of the rabbinic heritage in my family. So naturally, um, as, as a boy, I knew beyond any shadow of a doubt with every molecule of emotional intensity in my soul, Mm -hmm. I knew for sure that when I grew up, the one thing that I never wanted to be was a rabbi. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, uh, I think the good Lord um, speaks to us, uh, and if we don't hear, he speaks a little louder Mm -hmm. because he has a calling, I think, for each and every one of us. I'm sure you would agree. And um, some of us take a long time to listen, and uh, he finally has to use a two-by-four to get our attention. And uh, it really is better to listen earlier than later. Well, what, what, if you didn't want to be a rabbi, what did you want to be? Um, ideally, the career path I'd laid out for myself was pirate. <laughs> and... Um, <laughs> And it was, it was really with some distress that I discovered that, that the hour had passed 
for that particular uh, career. You're 100 years too late. Unfortunately, <laughs> yes. But, but the basic concept of, um, of, of plunder uh, appealed to my, my boyish nature. Um, Maybe that's why you got sent to Great Britain. <laughs> it, it would certainly be part of it, but I think we agreed we weren't going uh, to delve too deeply yeah, into it. I won't go back. Let's not go backwards. Uh, but uh, so um, I actually, um, uh, oddly enough, and I mean, a lot of people make the same mistake. Uh, I, I had shown some modest talent in um, uh, in the in the hobby of electronics. And so I soldered together sort of little basic primitive radio sets. And, and I, I, I really did get a kick out of that. I, I, I found it remarkable that the human voice could be carried across distance. And I, I wasn't taking it for granted. I was actually curious about this. Anyway, as a result of that, um, misled adults in my, uh, in my family circle uh, decided, oh, obviously, you, you want to be an engineer. And so uh, eventually I uh, was encouraged to go off to become an engineer, which, which I, I did. And I ended up um, getting my first job with a, a Dutch electronic company called Philips. Uh, and it was then that I discovered after spending uh, many, many months working in a lab with fascinating things like instruments and electronic components and soldering irons, um, that I was horribly uh, miserable being so detached from human contact. And I discovered that um, there was another category of people in the company called technical representatives, tech reps. These were guys who, and it was just a fancy word for a sales professional. They used to sell the stuff I was designing and helping manufacture. And guess what? They spent their whole days interacting with other people. They made considerably more money than I did. And they seemed to be having a great time. So it didn't take me long uh, before I requested a transfer to, to that field. And I loved that. That was, that was great. Uh, I still, to this day, I consider the, the profession of sales uh, to be one of the greatest and noble areas of business. And I, I do believe that it's something, I mean, everybody should have the benefit of the sales training I had because uh, that is a wonderful avenue. Essentially, you're never unemployed. If you've been taught to sell, you can walk into almost anywhere yeah. and, and say, hey, I'm here, you need me, because without sales, no business flourishes. Well, is that true? That's even true for our faith, too, isn't it? And very much so, because teaching is in, uh, in a sense selling. In other words, nobody's ever going to want to learn something from somebody they dislike. It's not going to happen. Uh, it's always said, you know, that, that people want to know you care before they care what you know. And uh, all of that is, is part of building relationships. I don't see uh, sales as something uh, cynical, uh, you know, manipulative. I don't think that's what it is. I, I think people who embark on selling in that belief uh, fail. I think that success in the field of sales stems from human authenticity, from a connection of souls, and uh, and and a, and, a, and, a, and a unification of, of two disparate people who who have a common interest. You know, I can't go on to my next question without referencing back a little bit. Your father, very successful, very achieved, a high achieving rabbi, and then you went off into another place. Yes. What was his response when you came back into the uh, 
study of the scripture and, and became a rabbi? Well, before I went into engineering, he insisted that I went to Bible school first and uh, qualified as a rabbi, even though I didn't want to ever do it. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. So you were qualified yeah. rabbi, and then you went into engineering. Yes, that is exactly right. And, um, and the longer I spent in engineering, and then the, the less sure I was mm -hmm. that I didn't want to be a rabbi, and the more I felt myself, and until finally God uh, communicated to me in no uncertain terms that that's what he wants me to do. I want to say that for just a minute. I'm going to come back to that because that's in the calling reference. Yes. But before we get into that, into that vein of, of, of discussion, I want to ask you about a personal question. You busy. You travel. You speak. You write. I speak for about uh, 30 to 40 churches every year. You've yeah. got a busy schedule. How do you relax? What's, what's the, 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 your fondest way of relaxing? Well, the, the Lappin household is a turbulent maelstrom of nonstop activity. <laughs> and then a very strange thing happens. On Friday afternoon, as the sun goes down, my wife lights two candles, and that signals the arrival of the Jewish Sabbath, the Shabbat. And all of a sudden, in an instant, Calm and tranquility takes over for the next 25 hours. And during that time, I don't touch my telephone, I don't touch my computer, I don't touch a radio or a television or anything else at all. Uh, I'm focused only on God, on my family, on my friends, and on His Word. So that's your place. Oh, I come out of that on Saturday night refreshed, reinvigorated, rejuvenated, ready to go. This is, this is a, a little bit of a side issue. We, we in Christianity have defined Sabbath a bit different. Yeah. You know, for us, it's going to church on, on Sunday. It's the Sabbath. Do you think we're missing something by not making it more of an inclusive, all, inclu you know, all included focus on God? I don't think you're missing anything uh, by virtue of it being Sunday, right. but I, 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 I would, if I may, um, answer honestly on that and, and think that, uh, that maybe some of the full benefit of, of what God intended the day to be uh, is lost by uh, spending part of the day at the shopping mall or at, uh, um, at, at events that, that sort of distract us from the, the deeper aspects. So I'm not saying that people should spend it in study and prayer all day. We don't do that. Um, we have um, our lunchtime on, on Shabbat seldom runs for less than four hours. I mean, it's, it's not only a fiesta of good food, but it's friends and conversation and family and our fantasies fly unhindered over the entire spectrum of human experience in conversation. We sing. We, it's, 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 we, all things we couldn't possibly do uh, if work was an alternative, because work is important. I, I would also work 24-7 if, if, right. if, if the boss didn't say different. So the Sabbath is a place for you to lose the distraction and then to also find the rest and, and, and inspiration yes. that the regular day... Sure. I mean, we walk to synagogue because we don't even use our cars on the Sabbath. Now... I'm not one of the big hikers of this world, and I've got to tell you something. I really feel comfortable behind eight cylinders. I mean, if I can burn up more hydrocarbons, I'm happy. 
uh, frankly, give me 12 cylinders. I had a car with 12 cylinders for a period of time. And I'm not going to say I define my masculinity by the number of cylinders I drove, but, uh, but it was, I, I'm, I'm happy driving. There's no way I would walk Sunday through Friday. Saturday comes the Shabbat. I'm, I'm okay. I, I go for long walks with people. So it changes everything. I, I, there's a lot for us to learn from the Sabbath, to learn how to keep it holy and how to use it as that day of charging. That's the exact, exactly the right word you used. Um, making it holy is, is an activity. It's an occupation. It, it takes work. Let's, let's go back. I love history. Yes. I'm a big student of history. I call myself a historian, but I can't qualify myself as a historian, but I do love history. If you could take the opportunity, had some way to magically be transported into history, and you could observe an event or a, uh, some kind of activity from a neutral perspective, well, you can't impact it, you can't change anything, and then you can come back. You come back to your real time in real life. Uh, what time in history would you go back to? What a cool question. Yeah. As you were asking it, my mind was racing because I, how am I going to answer this? What a, no one's ever asked me that before. Well, it's a, it's, it's a great, it's, it's a really fascinating question. And I'd really love to sort of sit back and reflect quietly on it for about 10 minutes. But that, <laughs> that could wreck the show. The show it? would go on. <laughs> We'd so. have 10 minute gap. <laughs> right. What well, comes to mind immediately? Um, I suppose uh, being at the foot of Mount Sinai, 3,330 odd years ago, uh, when, uh, when, when God gave his message to mankind, to Moses, I, I think if... When Moses came down off of the, the mountain with the... Yeah, yeah, I, I think, or the whole thing, I mean, maybe even watching the horror of Moses flinging the tablets to the ground upon seeing the golden calf, which... God help me, maybe I'd have been dancing around as well. I hope not, but uh, um, I, I think that, that would, that would if, if I had to pick a moment, that'd probably be it. Let me understand a little this. A, a, a guy, a friend told me the other day that the first example of written uh, text in the Hebrew tradition was on the Ten Commandments. Is that an accurate statement? Well, uh, that, that may have been, and, and I think it's somewhat accurate to say that that might have been the first uh, expression of it you'll find in Scripture. But uh, uh, our belief, and I, and I want to tell you that when I say our belief, I'm not saying this in the sense of, uh, you know, uh, I, I, I believe that uh, Johnny is a good kid. Uh, I, I, I want to say it in the sense of I believe the sun will rise on time tomorrow morning. When I say I believe that the Hebrew letters were given by God to Adam. And uh, as, as a historian, uh, you would probably be as big as an enthusiast as I am of one of the earliest histories of the American colonies was William Bradford's history of the Plymouth Plantation written in the 1600s. And the very first 20 pages of his manuscript are in his own handwriting in Hebrew. And he says, you know, if you wondered why I, I'm, I'm, I, I went to so much trouble to, to master the Lord's language, it's because this is the language in which God spoke to the patriarchs of old. It's the language in which Adam named things. So, uh, so to us, every, every Hebrew letter, so in other words, we believe it long predates the Ten Commandments, every Hebrew letter uh, has a spiritual meaning. And as words are assembled out of those letters, the Hebrew language is far closer to mathematics than it is to Albanian or Spanish. Which way to time to delve into that 
perhaps we'll have you back and talk about the language and the that would be a lot of fun the formation especially if we could do that uh, with some visual aids so yeah. that our audience can can yeah. actually uh, it's it's uh, it's majestic it's mysterious it's monumental and it's magical I am uh, I know a bit about the Hebrew I only took a Hebrew uh, introduction to Hebrew from a, a, a rabbi in my local community and it was very elementary so I could take the uh, the next step and learn a little bit more about that sure. that beautiful language. But he said that. He said the first time there was a written version of that. I don't know if it's true, but it's, it, it's, it's interesting that God himself wrote on the tablets. Well, and, you know, as William Bradford said, when Adam named, just before God created Eve out of Adam's side, uh, he brought the animals to Adam to name, and Adam named them Hebrew names. And it's really remarkable how so many of the names we use for animals are derived from the Hebrew. So, for instance, uh, if, you, if you write the word giraffe in Hebrew, it actually means neck. Not surprisingly, because as Adam brought the giraffe, God brought the giraffe. Adam would have looked at it and said, my God, what a neck. You know? a and God said, yeah, great name. Now we'll go with that. When, when people get to know you, they, they meet you, you know, they read your book, but they have the opportunity to get to know you on a personal level, become maybe a, a friend to you. What's the biggest surprise that they discover about you, Rabbi? Well, that, that when pushed, I can actually be considerate and kind and, um, and, 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 and a good friend. I think that comes as a, as a profound shock to many. <laughs> you think there's a, an image that you're not that? That somehow you're off and, and, and guarded? Partially because of my English background, there's a reserve and there's a, uh, um, a discomfort. I mean, my wife jokes that uh, for, for the first few years of our marriage, she thought my first name was Rabbi. So. <laughs> Did you ask her to call you that? No, absolutely not. No, 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 no. No, I mean, given some of the things people call me, I'm quite relieved. Uh, but uh, no, 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 not at all. It's, um, it's funny how we get uh, labeled. Yes. You know, and the, the perception of who we are gets lost. Yeah in what we are perceived to do, you know, as a religious leader, and people will look at you from the perspective of their, their definition of what a rabbi is, yes. what a rabbi is supposed to do. Many of you don't have any idea no. what a rabbi no. is. And the word, of course, only means teacher. It means teacher. Jesus yeah. was called rabbi. Well, obviously. Yeah, of course he, he would teacher. Be. Yeah, of course. Uh, when when um, you first, you referenced just, just a minute ago, yeah. you first said, wait a minute, maybe i got to take another look at this when you were doing sales for Phillips. And, and you said, maybe i take another look at this uh, idea of being a rabbi. If, how did God inch you along in that process? Um, well, uh, this is really bizarre. And I don't believe I've ever spoken about this in public on television before. So, so this will okay. be a first. And, so and it's and well, it's also, if I may, it's a tribute to, to, to how comfortable you've made me feel here and uh, the ease with which I, I, I feel able to talk with you. Um, I, I actually had a recurring dream that just kept revisiting me um, of, of me teaching a Bible to, uh, um, to uh, a group of, of young people on a beach, um, which was really very, very bizarre. Uh, and it just kept on, on happening. And it, it sort of got to the point where sometimes I almost, you know how sometimes you're aware you're having a dream or a nightmare or something? There's yeah. a part of you that's semi-conscious. And, well, that part of me kept on saying, oh, come on, not this again. You know? 
<laughs> Not the dream yeah. again. But, but meanwhile, uh, meanwhile, at the same time as this, uh, while I was um, uh, working in business, uh, people had, had started sort of coalescing around me and asking me to, uh, to share information on ancient Jewish wisdom. And I discovered that uh, I found myself so passionate and so excited and, and, and enjoying that interaction so much that um, I, I suddenly realized, hey, I'm enjoying this more than I enjoy uh, my business work. And then... Uh, was, there quite a, was there a time frame? Uh, a couple of years. Yeah. A couple of years. And then uh, I moved more and more into the teaching area. And would you believe it, I ended up planting a synagogue, the only synagogue that I'm aware of in the world that is literally on a beach. On a beach? And that is in Venice, California, a suburb of Los Angeles, right next to there. In other words, the door of my synagogue literally opened up onto the boardwalk and the beach. That's it. And so I looked up and I said, okay, God, I got it. Did you ever see Arnold Schwarzenegger out there working out? Because that's where he used to work out on Muscle Beach back in the 70s. Yeah. Arnold, uh, the governor of California. Yeah. California. California. Yeah. California. Uh, no, I, I, I didn't. It's uh, it's quite the that's quite the place to have to plant a, a, a synagogue. It was extraordinary, yes. And and Sabbath would start on Friday evening, and we would actually welcome it by standing outside and watching the sun set into the Pacific Ocean, mm. and that signaled the arrival of the Shabbat. Oh, yeah. That, and the synagogue is still there. My, my brother, when my brother came to join me in the United States. Uh, he served it because I wanted to get going. You know, the organization I'm privileged to serve is called the American Alliance of Jews and Christians. American Alliance of Jews and Christians. And, uh, and so I, uh, I retired eventually. Bad word, but you know what I mean. I retired from, from the synagogue in order to start the American Alliance of Jews and Christians. You changed, you changed, fo just changed focus, and my brother took over the synagogue. As a, as a teacher, as a rabbi, what do you see and what do you experience that really pierces your heart, really breaks your heart in this age? Yes. Um, I'm going to be honest with you, which is, I think, what you want me to do. I do. And um, uh, I will tell you that some of the most important work I believe I've done is the, the research I did on what is God's plan for human monetary and financial interaction. Okay. And um, uh, that was very, very important to me. I also wanted to answer the question, of why are Jews so disproportionately successful with money? And I felt that only an Orthodox Jewish rabbi could ask that question without being accused of anti-Semitic bigotry. Mm -hmm. and, um, and so that became a specialty of mine. And uh, as you know, I, I subsequently published a number of books like Thou Shall Prosper and The uh, Business Secrets from the Bible, all of which are focused on clarifying uh, God's plan for human financial activity. You asked what is the most moving and, and in a way sad uh, experience. I'll tell you what it is. I speak in about uh, 30 or 40 churches a year throughout the United States. Also, in, in I've spoken in China and in the United Kingdom. My most, um, my, my most uh, poignant moment is arriving at a church and on within literally less than five minutes, I know that this is a church in which God's message of finance and business has not arrived. I see the stressed look on the face of the pastor's wife, and I know that's from not being able to pay bills. And I see a light bulb that hasn't been replaced, and I see something that needs painting. 
and I see beat up old cars in the church parking lot. Mm -hmm. That for me is very painful because that's not how God expects us to live. God wants us to, to, to have the resources to do better than that? To, to do a whole lot better and in many ways the resources are um, an indication that we are doing his wishes and for me the most joyful part of my work mm -hmm. is then doing seminars and programs for that church. Now are you seeing that, Rabbi, are you seeing that in Christian churches and in the synagogues? No, just only ju Christian churches. You don't see that in the synagogues? No, because there is no confusion in Judaism about the role of money. And why, why is that? Give me, I, mean, I know you've written multiple books about it. Yeah. Can you give me just a little nugget for that? Of why? why we have no, we as Jews have no trouble well, with go money? To the, or go to the other side. Why do we as Christians have such a problem? I, I, I simply have no idea. I, I don't. I mean, is it... I, I don't know. I have to. I've absolutely. It, it baffles me, and nothing brings me greater joy than to return to that church a year later yes. and see the difference. Because literally, of the teaching. yeah, because they've changed. They've adopted the principles of ancient Jewish wisdom, what I call the Ten Commandments of making money, uh, and they realize that this is not about believe. You see, I think, I think a lot of people uh, conflate poverty with piety. Well, see, that's that's right. That's right. There's false humility in the idea that we don't have to... See, I'm not a greedy person. I don't think about myself. I don't need money because I'm so close to God. Yes. And in, 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 the, in the by and by, when we go to heaven, we're going to walk on streets of gold. We're going to have all that we need. All of our needs are going to be met abundantly, but not here. It, that, that's exactly right. And uh, in Judaism... Very f the belief. I mean, ask anybody. In, in, what's the first question God will ask you when you stand before His throne? Did you conduct your business honorably and nobly and honestly? That's gonna. That that's the question. That's number one. That's the first. How many times you went to synagogue is later down the questioning. But the first one is a presumption that that you were active in the world. You know, we're going to close the program, and I have yeah. to ask you the the home run question here. There are people watching the program yes. who've moved in, down the journey, much like you. You had a, 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 an early indication, moved away from it. Ignored my destiny. Ignored it. What do you say to that person? It's not too late. It's not too late. I, look, one of the most painful human experiences is regret, and I have plenty of them. Uh, I wish I'd have done a lot of things earlier, but uh, it's never too late. And, Would you uh, say a prayer? Can you say a, a blessing or a prayer to that viewer? that they could start again? Yes, yes, absolutely. And, um, and, and, and that, that blessing would be that uh, uh, each and, and every child of God should turn to the Lord for guidance mm -hmm. in seeking out the answer to the question of why he mm -hmm. made you. Mm -hmm. Why is that? Why are you here? There is a purpose, and you might not have listened to it a year ago or 10 years or 30 years or 50 years ago. But you can listen to it today. It's never too late. It's never too late. Thank you, Rabbi. Thank you, Don. I appreciate it being with God you. God bless you. Such a pleasure to be with you. Well, there it was, uh, my interview with Cornerstone, and uh, I hope it was of some interest to you. So that's about as far as we're going to go this week. A reminder that my website is rabbidaniellappin.com. And also to let you know that uh, there is a particular resource there that is on a reduced special price right now. Go to RabbiDanielLappin.com.
take a look in the store and you will quickly find the resource. Um, it's a little bit of a treasure hunt. That's a clue. And you will be able to uh, obtain that and apply it, I think, very effectively to your life. Also on the website, uh, you'll be able to take a look at uh, previous episodes of Ask the Rabbi, where people ask us a question. We respond. People then write in and comment, and Susan and I respond to the comments. And sometimes there's quite a very lively give and take uh, on those pages on the website. So Ask the Rabbi is one place you'll enjoy. Uh, Susan's musings. I mean, Susan is extremely uh, personal and uh, and very, very candid. And then um, there is, of course, Thought Tools, which is a biblical principle applied to uh, something real in our lives, having to do with friendships, faith, family, or finance. All of that at RabbiDanielLappin.com. Have a fantastic week, everybody. Uh, thrive in all your relationships, friendship, family, faith with God, and, yeah, finance. Thrive. Have a fantastic week. I'm Rabbi Daniel Lapp. Until next week, God bless. Spilling ancient solutions to modern problems in areas of family, faith, friendship, and finance. This is Rabbi Daniel Lappin on demand on the Blaze Radio Network.